In our last episode with Tori Smith, the CEO of Indiatics, we explored the innovative strides that this company is making in the medical field. They are crafting a pill-sized cameras aimed at the early detection of stomach cancer. Our conversation touched on the early days, the growth journey, and the future of Indiatics. Today, Tori shares his perspective on entrepreneurship, team building, and the art of choosing the right partners, among many other things. Stay tuned. I can't agree more. You mentioned something in, when, when you were saying the FDA. Can I ask you, like, first, how do you navigate your relationship with FDA? How do you work with FDA? And where are you at right now when it comes to FDA approval? We are extremely, we are extremely proud to actually have a date on the calendar uh, to meet with FDA representatives and discuss PillBot for the very first time. Uh, so that's coming up uh, in December. And this is a, this is a critical one because we're targeting a class two regulatory pathway. Mm -hmm. uh, could be five ten k, could be de novo. You know, it's it's sort of maybe somewhere in between, and we'll we'll get their guidance on, on what makes the most sense. But our hope is to put together a plan that could have us treating patients as an FDA-cleared company uh, in 2026. So that's going to be our basic goal to achieve that date. And when we meet with FDA uh, in December, we get a chance to ask a few questions. And so we need to ask the, the most potent questions to get the most appropriate feedback. We need to ask the scariest questions first uh, so that they can actually help guide us. Questions like, wait a minute, you said you're going to put lithium batteries in the human body, right? That's a very interesting conversation. And mm -hmm. we really want to meet with FDA and talk about lithium chemistry and how we think that we can do it in a safe and appropriate way. Um, but then also using that, you know, enable countless other devices and technologies that might follow us to use that same uh, approach as well, because there's a tremendous enabling force um, in modern battery chemistry that's going to enable all kinds of wonderful life-saving technology inside the human body. And we're not exactly pioneering that, but we do expect that to be a central theme as we as we work with the with the FDA personnel. Other questions are, you know, we're we are actually swallowing every day or you know every couple of days prototypes that use 3D printed plastic. Uh, and it's amazing what we've been able to do. You, you can see in the background for me, there's a, a whole row of uh, pretty interesting 3D printers. Yes. <laughs> some of which are, are not actually very, very expensive at all, right? A couple thousand dollars and you, you know, you're off to the races. We want to meet with FDA and basically show them our own cytotoxicity results and basically say, is there a world where we might be able to put 3D printed uh, material into the human body not just in the dental format where it you know it's common in in the world of dentistry to use 3d mm -hmm. printed material but you know can we go a step further and so we would need early feedback from fda because we can certainly do injection molding uh, if if that was a real problem but it's amazing to be on the absolute cutting edge of manufacturing technology and we would very much love to be um to 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 basically leverage the latest and greatest tech the other thing we want to ask FDA is, you know, are are you excited about robots in the in the body? You know, like later today we're gonna to do a flight test and and you know, I've been asked by my reg clean quality experts, um, Lindsay Consulting. They're like the the queens of of reg clean quality in the Bay Area. Um, 
I've been asked to shoot a video that that shows the robot swimming. You know, can it really exceed 15 minutes? I think we've flown one for 45 minutes, right? Um, but can can you actually achieve the metrics that that we're writing down on these application documents? I would like to show members of of the FDA team what we're doing with Pillbot. And honestly, as a founder, I would love to just get their basic response, you know, like, do you think this is cool? Is is this the kind of platform that if we can demonstrate safety and efficacy and appropriate uh, use case, you know, do, do you see this becoming part of the health tech landscape and hopefully a foundation for further tech? Um, so with pre-sub in December, we've got clinical trials in New Zealand uh, on the calendar with uh, Dr. Cam Shower over in New Zealand. Um, close friend of Vivek Kumbari from Mayo Clinic. Um, it's it's very exciting to think that we could have safety and efficacy data uh, in only a few months. But with all that being said, um, my team is working around the clock. Sometimes they're sleeping here at the facility. You know, the, it's like a constant hackathon getting the code base functional and stable. You know, we've recently made the transition from using laptops to control Pillbot. Where now we're actually just using our iPhones to control the device. Really? It's, I mean, you're holding a supercomputer in your pocket. You might as well use it, right? Wow, that's really creative. Like, I never thought about this. And like, it's, it's just like, it's like playing Xbox in human body. <laughs> we, use, we, use, we use Xbox controllers, right? It's a very intuitive way to move things around. Um, but we're, we're very agnostic to the end use control input. Right, so gotcha. if you if you're an old school gastroenterologist and you want a controller that looks like an endoscope controller, no problem, right? We can we can map our control algorithms almost in it's trivial, honestly. You could just you could plug it in and and it should work. I'm I'm not sure if there are game controllers that look like endoscopes. So if someone really asked for one, we could make one. <laughs> we would hope they would consider an Xbox controller because. It's off the shelf. You could use anyone you want. You could borrow one from your kids. Exactly. Our, our tech should be able, in an agnostic fashion, to to let you use any interface you want. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that a basic touchscreen app on your iPhone or you know or Android in time, but you you know pick a platform and and roll out first. I'm hoping that a basic touchscreen app on a cell phone is actually effective and easy to control Pillbot because. Mm -hmm. That just means that for some patients, you've taken an entire ecosystem, which you know, imagine a hospital. It's like a whole city block of all this equipment. Um, you've taken you know, what it took to get patients physically to and from that hospital. You're dematerializing the 20th century into this beautiful 21st century of, of digital health. We're, we're just trying to say that those ones and zeros can go beyond the human skin you know, with, with technology like tiny robots. I think that that digital health could take on a whole new meaning. I can't agree more. Like this is very exciting space. And when you were talking also, you mentioned that your team is working around the clock on building this technology. I can see them in real time. I can see them in real time. It's, it's there. <laughs> can I ask you now, like for founders and uh, entrepreneurs who are watching us and how did you grow your team? So that that's your number one value you know that you can have as a founder is to have a founding team uh, the person you see in the background right now is my co-founder james james has been with me longer than anyone else on the team and what james is doing right now is he is 
by hand making tiny, tiny, tiny coil springs out of stainless steel. And he's gold plating them using acid and uh, a power supply and a, a bunch of uh, information that he got on YouTube yesterday. And so <laughs> we mentioned gold plating yesterday and we're, and we're actually gold plating today. Um, but James has been with me, you know, since we incorporated in March of 20, 2019, the way that we built our team was, you know, we were all kind of Silicon Valley, deep tech engineer types. Um, you know, my background is aerospace, but with many years of medical device design, um, James is a hardcore machinist. His degree is actually in photography. Um, and when I met him, he was making beautiful like automata and like crazy engineered artworks. Um, other members of our team, like uh, Dr. Lubke from Google X, when I met him, he was sending balloons into the stratosphere and they were surfing stratospheric currents and changing their altitude in order to surf on currents going in different directions over South America and, uh, and I think parts of Africa. But uh, uh, I basically said, you know, you, you've put so many satellites into outer space. Would you like to come to inner space with me? And the one thing that our team had in common was we had all worked together building giant uh, Tesla coils um, uh, out in the desert. And you could kind wow. of think of it as, as like a bunch of engineers in Silicon Valley each one of them has a day job, but you know many engineers consider themselves creative people, and there's usually uh, a, sort of an overabundance of creative creativity. And when you get enough engineers together, they usually want to do something crazy together. And so we had, for a number of years, been working on world record-sized Tesla coils because for some reason we just thought it was a great idea to play giant lightning bolts through a piano, and. <laughs> After after we had become known internationally for that, and and you know actually, you know left the country and had some of our work featured in in the Smithsonian Institution, you know we were we were all very proud of our work sort of in the tech art world, but we decided you know if we can if we can do this in our spare time and have this much fun, what could we do if this was our full time job, right? What could we accomplish exactly. together? If we weren't meeting on nights and weekends when we were exhausted, but what if we were meeting on Monday morning, bright and early with the whole week in front of us, right? And rest behind us. And that's when we realized um, that what you do is you come up with the best idea that you have, the thing that's the most inspirational, mm -hmm. not the easiest idea, but the, the most inspirational, the brightest torch and pick that idea and incorporate a company and if you need to ask for help, well, that is when you can turn to the wonderful, beautiful world of accelerators, right? And so uh, we went to an accelerator called the Founder Institute, mm -hmm. which you know is, uh, is proudly prominent amongst others, such as Techstars or Singularity University or Y Combinator, um, you know, or the Creative Destruction Lab that we're proud to be a part of now, um, or, or MedTech Innovator that 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 also gave us guidance, right? There's this huge ecosystem to help founding teams take their ideas and, you know, leave their day job behind so that they can actually go pro. Gotcha. Is there a specific rule or rules like that you follow when you hire people? Do you have like specific principles or do you just trust your gut feeling? 
this is this is a really really important question um, because we make robot pills and swallow them and we drive them around inside our stomachs often live you know at live events you know in public or you know sometimes we'll we'll put the live feed up on linkedin and you know we are obviously you know very shamelessly trying to evangelize this new world that we're trying to create right we're very typical in silicon valley fashion for that um, and you know, I hope people can have a little bit of fun with us as they they see us on this adventure. Um, we attract many different types of people. And I would say that there's a line that starts to get drawn, uh, you know that that can sort of help people to understand, you know, would a tiny startup like Endiotics be appropriate for you or not? You know, the the line comes down to, you know, are you the type of, let's say if you're doing software, right? You know, are you a software engineer who really loves knitting together pieces of code that other people have wrote, written, right? Do you feel like you're the master of playing Legos with existing blocks of code? Please don't come to Endiotics because, <laughs> because that philosophy works extremely well when you have the full power of the modern 21st century internet at your disposal, right? Like... The, the massive websites like Facebook or X, right, or Amazon, these are interfaces that are dealing with billions of people. And it's the code bases for them are enormous. And the compute resources for those exist on huge server farms. But please understand that the entire Endiotics code base needs to function in a sense, you know, on a $35 little robot that might be deep inside a human body. And the compute resources that we have access to are so minimal. We don't have huge uh, uh, microcontrollers with tons of RAM and ton tons of cycles, right? Mm -hmm. Most of the hardest work we do is on FPGAs, which is, you know, you, you don't program them in even like C, C++. Like FPGA work is done in Verilog or VHDL. Like these are like arcane code bases that, maybe 1% of software engineers even really understand what that code would look like. And then a small fraction of those engineers would actually have any interest in doing that work. I mean, it's hard, right? If you're a mechanical engineer and you're interested in robot pills, well, that's wonderful. But understand that, you know, you can't just design something on the computer, like no matter how good it looks in SolidWorks or Onshape or Fusion 360, like any of them, those are all excellent packages, right? But there's the world of the computer. And then you can see behind me is the world of the shop, right? Like we have Bridgeport Mills. We have a pantograph milling machine that dates to 1954 here, right? We have Hardinge lathe from the 70s. If you are going to call yourself an engineer at Endiotics, I expect you to be deeply passionate on the design side, but then just as deeply passionate on the make it side. And so, you know, don't sketch this thing on a whiteboard. You know, I want to, I want to come in on, on Monday morning and I want to find my intern passed out on the floor with chips, you know, stainless steel <laughs> chips in his hair, holding this beautiful creation that he made on Sunday because he made it on Sunday knowing that, you know, if I caught him working on it, I probably would be upset, you know, because I have 10 things I've asked him to do, right? But he's got this burning project that he just couldn't not work on. 
And so when you actually put in the late, late midnight hours and you build the thing that no one told you was possible and that, in fact, everyone prohibited you from doing, when you actually put that thing in someone's hand, that changes everything. All of a sudden, that is what the company needs to work on. And that's usually what becomes the patented IP. And that intern is who I was, you know, at the beginning of my medical device journey. And we here at Endiotics are looking for people who have a desire to make their life count, right? Like we have as mammals, perhaps 1 billion heartbeats, something on the order of 1 billion heartbeats. And I'd like to think that the work that we're doing with endiotics is meaningful enough that when we spend ourselves, literally spend ourselves building it, that it's worth it, you know? And I feel like, I feel like it is because if, if we can show the world that you can operate a tiny robot inside the human body, I mean, what kind of a future follows that? I, I would have to think it's a cool, fun future. I'm just hoping that before too long, someone comes along and, and gets up onto a stage and pitches an idea, and they use Pillbot as the example of the boring, tired, old establishment, right? And they say, <laughs> you know, we live in this boring world, the tyranny of, of, the, of the lack of performance of robot pills. Tori and his lithium batteries are, are only working for 15, 20, 30 minutes at a time. Behold, the nuclear-powered brain surgery, surgery robot, you know, smaller than the head of a pin, right? <laughs> I, I, want, I want to see that founding team proudly get up onto a stage, pitch their tech, you know, uh, they'll face challenges just like we have. But my perspective is, you know, we'd like to make a contribution. We would love to hold this torch, you know, it's such a privilege to hold the torch like, like many founders know. There will come a time, however, when our torch is not as bright as it used to be and someone else has a better, more ambitious idea. And when that time comes, I desperately hope that I will be able to support that founder and let them take the stage, right? Because that's the best of humanity is when we let the best and brightest of us, you know, rally a team and, and change the world. And so I think today is that, honestly, I really do feel that Pillbot has 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 come into its own and we are entering the time of pillbot for a little bit but you know let's let's wonder what tomorrow is going to bring because that's the world that I think we all deserve to live in wow that's that's very inspiring and touching and I, you mentioned lots of like deep things it's finding the right people with the right work ethics uh, and putting them in the right spot and I, I, I really, I, I think what I learned the most here is like, or like the thing that touched me the most since the beginning of the interview till now, you talk about competition or people who might compete with you in a similar space, but they have different uh, edge or different way of approaching the market. They have different market, but you are bringing those people, you are talking about them and you are happy to see the advancement of this technology you're not thinking about, okay, so I'm, I'm going to go into this. I'm going to make this company. I'm going to make a profit. You are, you are thinking about making a difference. And I think that's what makes great founders different from, there are some pe people who fund something, find something, they start up a company, they sell it, they make money. They are happy with that life. I have nothing against them. Um, 
but th there are those who make a difference. And uh, I strive to be one of them, and uh, I, I see that in you. Uh, so well, well, thank you. I, I, I remember there was a time when you know, for example, I I might walk around a shopping mall, and I do remember as a, as a younger kid, sometimes looking into stores and kind of seeing things like consumer products and wishing that I could purchase them. And you know, maybe if I couldn't, I would feel sad because I, I I wanted to have that thing, but it didn't take me too long to go through this change where I just started walking around the world and I would see a car and I would think, that's not how I would design a car. Why would they make a car like that? You know, and I, I, I start to see clothing and I'm like, I don't like that clothing. You know, <laughs> I, I start to see brand names and I'm like, that brand means nothing to me. You know, what about the Tory brand? And I finally just start to realize like my biggest pleasure in life is just having the the freedom to dream up ideas and and make them real and share those things with with anyone that's interested right that's to me that's like standing in the brightest light you know you could ever imagine and so to to be able to be meeting you today you know with this 9000 square foot engineering paradise lair behind <laughs> me and this this deep tech team that's you know doing their best to work in spite of me taking up the best space <laughs> it's it's such an incredible privilege, right? And you know, we we do hope to to be a part of this community and to contribute to it. And we absolutely hope that we are giving credit and support to others in this space because when it's all said and done, we did say that we wanted to help human lives, right? Like many of us started these companies because we lost family members. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we can't we can't bring back those family members, but there's such a good chance we might be able to help someone else's, right? Exactly. And so that's what we're waiting for at Endiotics. You know, I don't I don't care if it takes like 10,000 patients screened or who knows, but at some point, at some point, we'll get a call from a, a doctor and the doctor's going to say, hey, you know, we caught an early cancer today and, and I think we're going to cure it and just wanted you to know that because, you know, PillBot, made it easy to 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 go find it and you know this is the kind of person that we would just never would have looked at right and it the metrics for us it it's probably not going to be one for one right i don't know how many pillbots are going to have to go through people before you get one of those magical moments but that magical moment is why this team is just unwilling to give up even though you know the things that we're doing can be quite hard at times wow i'm speechless Going back to the tips for founders and startup founders. Um, so one of the things I uh, I heard recently is a comment I read that you usually, or as a startup founder, you have to seek funding when you don't need it. What do you think about this and what your experience is like? Well, uh, ultimately, we all have a choice about what we do with our lives and how we spend our limited and and blessed life, right? Mm -hmm. This finite thing that we are gifted, um, like it or not, right? It's this finite thing. Here we are. What are you going to do with it? It's your choice. It's all your choice. That's the that's the most powerful thing. Is you know you may not have control over many things, but you certainly have control over your choices if you choose to. And so a founder needs to choose 
in what environment do they want to bring out their idea? And the question of small, medium, and large ideas comes up. And I would hope that most of us have dreams of large ideas, right? Like, I would love to build a giant robot spider and ride it around with 40 of my friends. I think that would be so cool. Got some good sketches for it. Um, that's a big idea. And we'll talk about that in some future interview. Then you have medium ideas, and then you have small ideas. And it's okay. I, I test small ideas all the time. I love drawing. I love sketching things. And you know, I'm not going to make all of my ideas real. But I would challenge founders not to get trapped by a medium-sized idea. Because if you do something medium-sized, like say you want to build a train set in your garage, you know, a model train set, but it's going to be the best train set ever. It's going to have planes landing on a runway. There will be all these cars and many different tracks and mountains mm -hmm. and villages. Mm -hmm. That's a cool project, but it's medium-sized because it fits in your garage. The problem is you will spend all your time on that. You will spend all your money on it, but when it's all said and done, you're going to do that medium-sized project alone. And once in a while, someone will come into your garage and you'll light up because you get to share with them this wonderful thing you made, but then they'll leave and then you'll be sitting there alone with this thing. And there's a chance that by the time you realize there was another path, you might be an old person at that moment, right? And you might ask yourself, you know, what happened to your other dreams? So let's get a little bit scared here. Think about the biggest idea you have. For me, uh, just a few years ago, it was I want to make tiny robots and I want to put them in the human body and I want to do clinical good with them. That's a small device, but it's a very big idea. And the interesting thing about a big idea is you can, in fact, inspire people to join you. People will come from all over the world to join in an adventure for a huge idea. People will come out of the woodwork to fund you. Now, you may have to find them. You may have to put in years of effort, but people will fund you if you have a big enough inspiring idea. And so my message to founders is you want to choose the ideas that are truly inspirational and truly disruptive to what we know as normal. Because if the idea you're working on is relatively easy, there's a good chance 10,000 other people are also working on a very similar version of it. And you might spend years working on it only to find someone else step right in front of you with a slightly better version of it. And gosh, that would be so frustrating, right? Exactly. And so the advice would be, you know, get out there on the cutting edge where it's really scary and where you feel alone. Because once you really start to feel alone with an idea, just look to your left and to your right, and you're going to find your team right there behind you, like, bracing you, um, you know, forcing this thing into reality because they were inspired by how exciting this adventure is. So you have to use the power of inspiration um, as, a, as a counterpoint to all of that fear um, because a, a bright torch in a very dark space is going to attract people. Wow. I can't agree more. I, I think this phrase, like, I, I heard this a lot and Although it's easier said than done, but I can't agree more with this because like you're going to spend the same time executing medium-sized idea versus huge-sized idea. 
So why you don't spend this time executing something bigger than you and making a difference and creating more meaningful life? There, there was this time when we were working on that lightning machine, the Tesla coil, to make the yeah, sparks. Yeah, yeah, tell me. <laughs> and it was not, it was not my idea to make the Tesla coil. My friend Dan uh, had that idea, and he said, "Tori, I want to build this giant Tesla coil. Can we do that?" And I was like, "Okay, what? Well, tell me more. What's giant?" And he said, five feet tall." And I thought, "Wow, that's pretty big." And he said, "You're the engineer. Could you make the aluminum toroid at the top of the Tesla coil that the sparks come out of?" And he said, you know, I'll be working on the electronics. And I said, sure, okay, I'll go work on the aluminum toroid. And, you know, I went to the metal shop and I started beating on metal and aluminum. And I, I very quickly realized that's a difficult shape to, to make by hand. I found this machine uh, owned by this company. And there were only five machines in the world that come from South Korea. And one of them was in San Jose in Silicon Valley. <laughs> and the, these machines take giant spools of steel tape and they they cut the sine wave down the center of the tape and and you get these two tapes coming off uh, of varying width and they do a spiral winding process and what they make are the world's best hvac ducting you know to ventilate buildings and instead of like weird sharp 90 degree corners it's like a perfect you know a toroidal arc right like a donut a perfect smooth circular cross section and i asked the the owner of the company um uh, because he was very interested in this seemingly young engineer, let's just say I identify as young, you know, <laughs> wandering around his warehouse asking all these questions. And I said, sir, you know, could you feed this machine that is unique and you probably risked your entire finance to purchase, you know, you probably risked your company when you bought this machine. And he's like, yes, I did. Could you feed this machine aluminum instead of steel? And he said, yeah, honestly, there's no reason why we couldn't do that. And so we were on and he said, you know, you'd have to purchase this giant spool of aluminum that comes on the big truck. And I said, do you take American Express? That's the other thing, folks. You have to put all of your money in all the time, right? Full commitment. So these guys really liked us. And the only thing was the machine had adjustability. And it turned out that the little toroid that uh, would, would be part of this five-foot Tesla coil was just one of the many sizes this machine could make. And so I asked the obvious question, how big can this thing go? And they said, oh, you know, it would be a toroid about eight feet, you know, in diameter. And I called up my friend Dan and I said, Dan, could you run the numbers on what if we made this Tesla coil with an eight-foot toroid? And I could hear the clicking of, you know, keystrokes and he was running electronic simulations and he starts laughing and he's like, I'm going to need you to go to Oakland because we're going to be picking up a reel of copper wire that weighs almost 500 pounds, and it's going to wow. come on a ship. And our little capacitors, instead of being like little cylinders that are like the size of your fingertip, turned into like giant suitcase capacitors, custom, custom built in China from this, this crazy weird company. And this Tesla coil stopped being like an arbitrarily large thing, and it turned into what is the biggest Tesla coil that we can possibly build. We had no idea how we would stand <laughs> it up or support it. We we barely even knew how to transport it. Like we designed this huge, crazy thing with no idea for the logistical footprint. And it took us three years to get it working. And we went through plenty of challenges and spent, you know, all of our money for several years on this thing. But what we noticed was that as we were working on this in nights and weekends, we were very quickly surrounded by 
just crazy interesting people. You know, some of the smartest people in the world, many of whom now work for Endiotics as co-founders, many of whom are now on the Endiotics cap table as uh, early angel investors or venture capitalists who, you know, just happen to like to build Tesla coils in their spare time. And basically, it was this project where we decided to do a crazy big thing that really taught us the value of of big, bold ideas. Dreaming big. And so with Endiotics, the dream is big, but the support is far bigger. And that's that's the magic that I hope founders can soak up is that if your idea is suitably meaningful and will change the world in a really huge way, then you know no matter where you come from or kind of what background you might have, you should feel a sense that the universe wants this thing to be real, right? And, and people will help you do it. But if you're the founder, you have to hold the torch yourself and just understand, you know, that torch burns bright and it burns hot and it's painful at times. But uh, I, I remember what it was like to just be a guy with a job and I would never, ever trade the old world and the, the sense of comfort for this new world and the sense of adventure. You know, it's it's really like night and day. Wow, this is this is one of the best interviews I ever had. Like the conversation that it, it took us longer than I expected. It's it's been a lot. It's been longer, but like I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm enjoying it a lot. I, I I do still have tons of questions, but like I know I took lots of your time, and uh, I really appreciate you being here. Um, is there anything else, like any last words, advice for people who are listening, physicians, founders, engineers, researchers, you want to say? Um... Yeah, the the most important thing is is a message to prospective founding teams, you know, to founders. Um, my guess, speaking directly to you now, is that you have some idea in your head, some beautiful idea, and you probably also have a reality wrapped around you, a family and friends. Um, uh, probably a job or maybe a university program, maybe some mixture of those. And many times you're going to feel very hemmed in and controlled and trapped by the constraints of your world. You're going to have your dreams and you're going to have your reality and you're going to feel like there's this impossible gulf between the two. And it feels like uh, like an infinite distance. Um, and you're going to feel intense imposter syndrome because you're going to you're going to you know you're going to see podcasts and you'll see interviews like you'll see the great Elon Musk landing rockets from space i mean wow that's cool sometimes i wish he would be a little bit more quiet on social media but my goodness look <laughs> at those amazing engineering projects right i'm i'm such a huge fan of the work they do um you're going to look at the the successes of people out there in the world on the cutting edge and then you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to feel humiliated, you know, and you're going to hate yourself. You're going to judge yourself. You're going to be your own worst critic because you, unlike anyone else, truly knows the depths of your, of your procrastination, right? You know just how bad you are, right? You need to understand that anyone who you are looking up to or excited about or inspired by was looking in the exact same mirror at some point in their life, right? Um, before Elon ever had those incredible successes, he was this guy in college in Canada uh, studying physics, I think, and his roommate, Adele, in Kingston. and Elon, right? These were, you know, kids that were 
you know, off in school trying to learn how to do cool stuff. And uh, Adeo actually helped me launch uh, Endiotics, right? And, you know, some of, some of that network has gone on to support many founders. But there was a time when our heroes were just young kids. And, you know, depending, it doesn't matter what the background was, people have their challenges, right? Um, from any walk of life, people have demons and they have challenges, right? Just like you, the founder, the prospective founder has challenges. Um, but the thing is that no one can take from you if you choose not to let them is they can't take your dreams and your ambitions. And so you have to be willing to take that first step. And I wasted at least four years uh, trying to found Endiotics, thinking that I had to know everything. I'm a damn good mechanical designer. I'm so proud of my SolidWorks capabilities, but my goodness, the 21st century is not a SolidWorks century. It's a code century. <laughs> you know, this is a digital century. I was feeling like a, an anachronism. I was feeling like a, like some irrelevant old man, you know, even in my 20s. I was thinking, man, I, I, don't, I don't have the right skills. And I spent years trying to learn how to code more, and I took circuit classes. I, I felt like if I'm going to found a tiny robotics company, I, I, I have to do everything. And what I really got done was nothing, although I sketched a lot of Endiotics logos in the margins of my notebooks for the jobs that I was supposed to be working. And what I finally learned is that you can ask for help. You can recruit friends. You can say, hey, I'm good at this. Can you help me with that? Um, you, you can actually ask the world, the universe for help. You don't have to fund it yourself. You can inspire people to invest in you. In fact, it's better to be able to demonstrate that you can draw investment than it is to just burn up whatever money you have lying around. I mean, you probably have burned it already, right? But, but being able to get other people excited enough to write you a check, oh, that's a huge, that's a big part of this adventure, right? And so my real message to the prospective founder is that I understand what it looks like in the mirror when you look back at yourself, but just understand we were all there once. We're here to help. We want to help you. And you must never, ever commit the crime of waiting to launch your company until you think that you're comfortable and ready to do so. Because when the time comes that you're comfortable and ready to launch your company, you're going to be old and your idea will be 20 years obsolete. So start it tomorrow. Start it with the $5,000 that we started Endiotics with. 5000 bucks. We bought a 3D printer, we bought some Raspberry Pi electronics off of Amazon, and we built a American football-sized prototype. We called it PoolBot, and we flew it around inside swimming pools until people wrote us some checks. And using the money we raised from PoolBot, we made Fish Tank Bot. And from there, we went to thumb-sized and raised more money. And from there, we went to fingertip-sized, and here we are now. And now we have this team that represents all of the skills that I felt I had to have all inside my own skull all those years ago, I was so wrong. All I needed to do was ask for help and inspire people to join. You're going to make me quit my job tomorrow, my friend. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I think it, it's, it's very true. It's very true. I, I just like, I, I've heard this so many times from so many great people and i'm hearing it from you and you you can't do it all by yourself like you have to ask for help you have to ask for help 
um, I'm still like, I, I have a lot to ingest today. I have a, a lot to digest today. And like, I, I learned a lot. Um, I don't want to take more of your time. Uh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. I learned a lot. I, I learned a lot. And I think um, there, there, there is a lot of food for thought uh, in this hour and a half. Um, and thank you so much again. I really, really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. It's a genuine pleasure to be here and, and to be able to share a little bit of this adventure. Thank you so much.